Psalm 124 is a lot like Mad Libs. Do you know what those are? Do you know that game? It's the game where you fill in the blanks with nouns and verbs and adverbs and adjectives. And then when you read it back, it doesn't make sense. And when you read it back, they're usually funny. Mad Libs were invented in 1953 by Leonard Stern and Roger Price. And in case you've lived under a rock under the pa- over the past 50 or so years, here's an example of what they gave of how to play their game Mad Libs in the very first edition. And then after you fill in the blanks, I think there's a picture, after you fill in the blanks with these adverbs and adjectives, you read it back and usually they're very funny. I don't think the example they gave is really funny, but that's okay. I loved Mad Libs as a kid, and Psalm 124 is kind of like those Mad Libs. The psalmist has left a bunch of blanks, and the nation of Israel has filled them in. And so our big idea today is straight out of this Mad Lib psalm that we're going to look at, and it's this. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, then blank. That's what we'll see David do in our passage Today, he calls on the nation of Israel to fill in the blank, and he wants us to do the same, to fill in the blank. David wants you to look back over your life and to fill in the blank. If it had not been the Lord who was on my side, then, and you fill in the blank. Psalm 124 is telling us that a very helpful spiritual discipline is looking back over your life and doing an inventory of it and seeing all of the ways that God has come through for you. And when you do this, you will find that it has a way of building up your faith and reminding you that the God that you serve keeps covenant It will remind you that Jesus is faithful. It will remind you that Jesus is trustworthy. It will remind you that the Holy Spirit has sustained you through many seasons, through many situations, and through many sorrows. And that's exactly what we will see with Psalm 24. So look there, and as is a custom of letting you know when you see the, the name Lord in all capital letters, it's letting you know that that's God's covenant name, Yahweh. So look at Psalm 124, beginning in verse 1, and hear the word of Yahweh. If it had not been Yahweh who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been Yahweh who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Now recall what I've said every week since we've been in our series Films for Radio, a series through the Psalms of Ascent, which are Psalms 120 through 134. The Psalms of Ascent are structured this way. There are five sets of three, and each set includes three psalms, and they follow this pattern. The first one focuses on some sort of trouble or problem that an ancient Israelite or maybe David has. The second psalm then describes Yahweh or the Lord's ability to keep and protect and sustain his people. And then the third psalm in each set focuses on Mount Zion or worshiping in Mount Zion or worshiping in Jerusalem. So we are in the second psalm of the second set of the Psalms of 
ascent. And this is a song that David has written to help the nation of Israel recall how Yahweh had saved them out of their troubles. And it may be that David is speaking about one of their journeys that they took to Jerusalem to worship. Remember, the nation of Israel was required by the Mosaic law to travel to Jerusalem three times a year to celebrate these festivals. They would travel in the spring to celebrate the festival of unleavened bread or Passover. They would then travel in early summer to celebrate the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. And then they would travel in the fall to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. So it could be that in this psalm, David is telling us about one of the times that he journeyed to Jerusalem And how he encountered trouble on the way. That could be the context. Or he could just be broadly and generally speaking about how God has saved his people time and time again. As we saw last week in Psalm 123, the Israelites did encounter and endure scorn and contempt as they traveled to Mount Zion, as they traveled to Jerusalem to worship. So here in Psalm 124, David may be reflecting on one of those journeys where he and his traveling companions encountered trouble as they sojourned to Jerusalem. And he tells us in verse 2 that if Yahweh had not been on their side when these enemies rose up against them, then they would have been dead meat. They would have been toast. And when David says that people rose up against us, he uses the same Hebrew word that was used of Cain rising up against his brother Abel and then killing him in Genesis 4. So David is saying that he would have got his throat slit if the Lord had not intervened. He'd be pushing up daisies if Yahweh had not been on his side. David and company would have been swallowed up alive if the Lord had not been on their side. If Yahweh had not been on their side as they traveled through the dangerous desert on the way to Jerusalem, then they would have been swallowed up alive like the Sarlacc creature in Star Wars Return of the Jedi. And if for some reason you have lived under a rock and you don't know what the Sarlacc creature is, allow me to explain And I understand some people may not know what the Sarlacc creature is. But a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, on the desert planet of Tatooine, there was this multi-tentacled creature called a Sarlacc that lived in a hole in the middle of the desert in the great pit of Carcoon. And people would be thrown down into the pit to die. They would actually be digested according to... Star Wars canon, they would be digested for several thousand years. They would be swallowed up alive and forever. Well, if David could have seen Return of the Jedi, he would have jumped up out of his seat and ran to the TV and pointed at the Sarlacc creature and said, that's what I was talking about in Psalm 124. There just was no Hebrew word for Sarlacc, so I just said we would be swallowed up alive. That would have happened to us on our way to Jerusalem if Yahweh had not been on our side. When their anger rose up against us, like Jabba the Hutt's anger at Luke Skywalker, we would have been swallowed up alive. Now, you may not like the imagery of the multi-tentacled sarlacc creature, but I think it got your attention. And that's what David is wanting to do here in these verses. It's not that he wants you to take him literally. He is not implying that he encountered cannibals as he traveled to Jerusalem, but he is trying to jolt you a little. He wants you to think about the danger that he was in. It was real. 
It was scary. It would be as scary as being eaten by the sarlacc or being eaten by a group of cannibals. And missionary to the cannibalistic tribes, John Patton, probably read Psalm 124 and knew exactly what David was talking about. Because a few months after arriving in the New Hebrides Islands, which is modern-day Vanuatu, Patton's pregnant wife, Mary, gave birth and died. And then a few weeks later, their newborn son died. And Patton recorded his loss in his journal. He said, then in a moment... Altogether unexpectedly, she died on March 3rd. To crown my sorrows and complete my loneliness, the dear baby boy, whom we had named after her father, Peter Robert Robson, was taken from me after one week's sickness on the 20th of March. Let those who have ever passed through any similar darkness as of midnight feel for me. And as for all others, it would be more than vain to try to paint my sorrows. He's saying, if you've lost a loved one like this, you know what I'm talking about. But he said, if you haven't lost a spouse or a child, he said, it would be vain for me to try to paint my sorrows. You just wouldn't be able to to understand it. In fact, if my memory is serving me correct, I think Patton had to guard uh, the burial site for several weeks because the cannibals wanted to come and dig up the bodies and eat them. And so he had to actually stay there for a while to make sure they didn't do that. On top of his loss. So Patton dug their graves with his hands and he would often visit the spot where his wife and baby boy were buried. And he said this about that visiting that he said, stunned by that dreadful loss in entering upon this field of labor to which the Lord had himself so evidently led me, my reason seemed for almost a time to give way. The ever merciful Lord sustained me. And that spot became my sacred and much frequented shrine during all the following months and years when I labored on for the salvation of the savage islanders amidst difficulties, dangers, and deaths. But, but for Jesus and the fellowship he vouchsafed to me there, I must have gone mad and died beside the lonely grave. Patton said, if it wasn't for the sweet fellowship that he had with his Savior and Redeemer Jesus during his loss, he would have gone mad. He would have gone crazy. And then on top of all of this overwhelming and unimaginable loss, Patton's life was threatened constantly by the savage and cannibalistic islanders that he was trying to reach with the gospel. He recalls their tenacity in seeking his death. He said, my enemies seldom slackened their hateful designs against my life, however calmed or baffled for the moment. A wild chief followed me around for four hours with his loaded musket and, though often directed towards me, God restrained his hand. I spoke kindly to him and attended to my work as if he had not been there, fully persuaded that my God had placed me there and would protect me till my allotted task was finished. Looking up in unceasing prayer to our dear Lord Jesus, I left all in his hands and felt immortal till my work was done. Trials and hairbreadth escapes strengthened my faith and seemed only to nerve me for more to follow And they did tread swiftly upon each other's heels. That's exactly what David is doing here in Psalm 124. 
He is recalling all of the trials and hairbreadth escapes that he and the nation of Israel encountered. And by the time you get to verse 5, you discover that just like John Patton, all of these trials seemed only to nerve David and the nation of Israel for more to follow. John Patton would tell you, along with David and company, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, then blank. John Patton could fill in a lot of blanks, and he'd probably fill one in like this. If it had not been the Lord who was on my side, then I would have been somebody's dinner. Patton literally faced being swallowed up alive by cannibals. In fact, as he was departing for missionary work in the New Hebrides Islands, he was warned not to go because he might be eaten alive. A Mr. Dixon exploded at him and said, The cannibals! You will be eaten by cannibals! Because 19 years earlier, two missionaries had been clubbed and speared and beaten and then eaten as soon as they arrived on those islands. And that 19-year-old event was still fresh in everyone's Memory, but here's how Patton responded to Mr. Dixon. He said, Mr. Dixon, you, he probably said it with an accent, I don't know, Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms, and in the great day my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. It just sounds better with an accent, doesn't it? That wasn't planned, so I don't even know what kind of accent that was. I have a feeling that John Patton knew exactly what David was talking about when he said he was almost swallowed up alive. I have a feeling that Psalm 124 verse 3 was probably John Patton's life verse. The irony. He knew what it was to fear for his life, to fear for his liver, to fear for his lungs, to fear for his earlobes. And David wants you and me to enter into his fear too. He wants us to slow down and realize that in verse 3, he was on death row there was a bounty on his head. This, there was a real death threat. David wants us to see that it was very scary. Just like with John Patton. Sure, David could have just said, I was scared. Or, I almost died. But then we would probably complain that the Bible is boring and dry, wouldn't we? And so David is trying to keep you awake during your quiet time. And he tells you if the Lord had not been on his side, then he would have been eaten alive. Don't fault David or the preacher when you read verse 3 and he says he was almost eaten alive. Just don't eat your breakfast while you read this psalm. Oh, you may not have worded Psalm 124 this way, but that's what makes the Bible so enjoyable. God's word goes against our boring ways of thinking and it likes to shock us to get our attention. The Bible is full of surprises and it's not boring. It's far from boring. Please don't ever accuse the Bible of being boring. As Pastor James likes to say here, the Bible is not boring. You're just reading it wrong. And what David is saying to Israel and to you and to me in this psalm is this. He's saying, say these words with me, Israel. Repeat after me. 
And so imagine these pilgrims, if that's the context, singing this psalm as they're traveling to Jerusalem to worship Yahweh. Picture David saying as they're walking, come on guys, say it with me. If Yahweh had not stepped in, we would be toast. Say it with me. If Yahweh was not on our side, we would be dead meat. We would be toast. We would be pushing up daisies. We would have been some cannibal's TV dinner. Understand this, Grace. Psalm 124 is telling us that we will face dangers in this life. People will hate our guts because we love Jesus. People will get mad when you tell them about Jesus. People will have a blank look on their face and they will think that you are mad, that you are crazy, that you have lost your mind. People will hate our guts with all of their hearts because we love Jesus from the bottom of our hearts. You will be hated. Jesus told us in Mark 13 as a courteous reminder, in case we missed David's point in Psalm 124. In case you didn't get David's point in Psalm 124, Jesus reminds you of this in Mark 13, 13. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Jesus knew that you might fall asleep during your quiet time while you were reading Psalm 124, so he has graciously reminded you that you will be hated. He knew you might fall asleep when you're reading your Bible. He knew that you might fall asleep while you're reading Psalm 124, and so here in Mark 13, he is graciously reminded that you will be hated. This is normal Christianity, Grace. Jesus loves you. And the world hates you. That's Psalm 124. Difficulties, dangers, and deaths abound. Trials and hairbreadth escapes, and they tread swiftly upon each other's heels, one after another. And David's journey to Jerusalem was anything but boring. David and company were not just in danger of cannibals, if you will, they also had to face the elements as they traveled to Jerusalem. They had to make sure they watched the local weathermen because it could get real hairy, real fast on the road to Mount Zion. Look at verse 4, and I'll read the little refrain ahead of it. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Now, David could be referring to the fact that flash floods could have taken them out. Flash floods floods were common in the ancient Near East, and they could easily sweep treacherously down some canyon and just take people out. Or David could be comparing his enemies to a surging and raging river that could have swept them away. The language here is very similar to how Isaiah describes the invasion by the Assyrians. In Isaiah chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, it says, And Yahweh spoke to me again, Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently, and rejoice over Rezin in the son of Remaliah. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, Mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks. And it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. And its outspread wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. The king of Assyria is described here as a flood, as the river 
So whether literal or symbolic here, David's point is that if Yahweh had not been on their side, then they would have drowned. He's saying our bodies would be floating down the river if the Lord had not been on our side. If the Lord had not been on our side, you would have just seen dead bodies floating down the river. And to make sure that you know that the Bible is not mooring, to make sure he has your attention, and to make sure you get his point that people will hate you for loving Jesus, David lets you know that if God had not been on his side, his enemies would have had to use dental floss to get David out of their teeth. Look at verse 6. Blessed be Yahweh who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of Yahweh who made heaven and earth. So once again, David says that they would have been dead meat if Yahweh had not delivered them. Their enemies would have needed some dental floss if Yahweh had not intervened. They would have been somebody's dinner if Yahweh had not intervened and set them free. And so David describes their situation and their deliverance this way. He says, we were like birds that were caught, put in this cage. And then somehow we managed to escape. And how did they manage to escape? He tells us here, Yahweh foiled the fowler. Here's a picture of an ancient Egyptian bird snare. It's, it's a wall fragment from the, the tomb of Ippi, who was a high-ranking official who served the pharaohs around 2186 B.C. to 2061 B.C. It's made from limestone. And this scene depicts two men hiding behind a reed blind and pulling clothes on this trap to snare these birds. And four birds, you see, have, have escaped. and They fly away from the pond where the lotus flowers are. Something similar to this is what David has in mind here in Psalm 124. Because Yahweh was on their side, they escaped the snare. Yahweh foiled the fowler. But notice what David says at the very beginning of verse 6. Before he ever mentions the incisors of his enemies, before he ever mentions their trapping abilities, he says, blessed be Yahweh. David praises Yahweh. It's his sweet fellowship with Yahweh that takes center stage here. It's his relationship with God that has sustained David as his enemies bared their teeth. And it was John Patton's fellowship with Jesus that is most fascinating about his story. Against the backdrop of much affliction and much loss and much sorrow, John Patton walked close with Jesus. In one particular story, he hid high in a tree as natives, a band of natives, were hunting him. Shots from their muskets rang out along with their screaming and yelling. All the while, he stayed quietly put on that tree branch. He tells us about it in his autobiography. He says, never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus, alone, yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree 
to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. And that's David here in Psalm 124. And that can be, and I'm sure it has been your story before as you suffer in times of sorrow and sadness and suffering and difficulties and dangers and deaths, Jesus comes to us. He draws near to us. He speaks soothingly to our souls. And we have sweet fellowship with Him, even though our heart's breaking. We go through these dark nights and we pour our hearts out to Jesus and we feel His presence and we enjoy His consoling fellowship. And that's the hope and that's the beauty of Psalm 124. That's the gospel according to Psalm 124. No matter how dark or dangerous it gets, fellowship with Jesus is sweeter. No matter where We are, and no matter what's going on, and no matter who's after us, fellowship with Jesus is always sweeter. Fellowship with Jesus always trumps whatever it is that we're going through. He comes to us and he speaks soothingly to our souls. And we find rest. But notice, where is David's focus here in this psalm? David focuses on what Yahweh did not allow to happen in his life. There's a lesson to learn here because sometimes we get worked up and we get upset about what God allows to happen in our lives. But this psalm is telling us what God did not allow to happen. See, so many times our focus is on what God has allowed to happen in our lives. There's suffering, there's sickness, there's job loss, there's wayward children, there's financial strain. You fill in the blank. And so many times we focus on what providence has ushered into our lives. But here David says sometimes we should be focusing on what God has not allowed to happen to us. We should slow down enough to think about all the ways that Jesus has intervened and didn't let things happen. I was reading my sermon manuscript yesterday and one of my boys came up and said, what is that thing there with the blank? And I was able to talk with him about, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, fill in the blank and said, when are the times has God intervened in your life? And he told me a few times, oh, there's a time I did this and did that. And I said, if God had not intervened, what would have happened? We should slow down enough to Think about all the ways that Jesus has intervened and didn't let things happen. We should slow down enough to be able to do some inventory on our lives and say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, then blank. And if we take the time to do this inventory, what we will discover is that our fellowship with Jesus was sweet. And we'll discover... One other amazing thing. We're still here. We're still here. It's true. We may have bite marks on us. We might have teeth imprints in our skin. But we have not been eaten alive. Our clothes might be sopping wet. Our hair might be drenched. But we didn't drown. We were in the trap with no way out. But we got out. All because Jesus. All because Jesus is faithful. 
David wants you to know that the world just can't get rid of God's people. They tried to exterminate us, don't they? They tried to eliminate us. Terrorists tried to blow us up. Government tries to get rid of us. Laws are passed to make life difficult for us. But guess what? We're still here, Grace. God's people are still here enjoying sweet fellowship with Jesus as we endure all of this hostility. Here we are, these weak, unlikely people. And we are still here thousands of years after David wrote this song. We are God's people, and we're still here. And we ain't going anywhere. And in case you've been living under a rock throughout this sermon, David tells us why we ain't going anywhere in verse 8. Look at verse 8. Our help is in the name of Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. David looks to the past in this psalm, but he also realizes he has to live in the here and now. And so verse 8 becomes David's confession. His help is in Yahweh's name, Yahweh's character, who Yahweh is. David has looked to his past and he has been reminded of the Lord's goodness. But David doesn't know what's next. David doesn't know what lies around the corner. There could be more cannibals, more floods, more shiny fangs, more bird traps. David knows that there's a lot of unknown in the Christian life. But David also knows that his help is in the name of the Lord. He knows he can trust in the maker of heaven and earth. Perhaps John Patton's life verse was Psalm 124, verse 3. But Psalm 124, verse 8 was John Calvin's favorite verse. Psalm 124, verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth is how Calvin started his church services in Geneva. Evidently, this was his favorite verse in all of Scripture. These were the very first words that you heard as church started each week in Calvin's church. I wish I could go back in time and experience a worship, worship service at Calvin's church. Now, don't get me wrong. I love John Calvin, but I haven't invited him into my heart. Ralph Davis says, Your help is in the name of the Lord, not in the name of your favorite Christian hero. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Our help is in the name of Jesus, not our favorite preacher, not our favorite author, not our favorite pastor. But I'd still like to go back in time to worship in Geneva. And if I could, I would walk in and I would hear Psalm 124, verse 8, because that was the call to worship every week in John Calvin's church. And what a great reminder. It was our call to worship today, too. But about 70% of you don't know we have a call to worship. No shame, no guilt. I'm just pointing it out. We have a call to worship here. I'm serious. No shame, no guilt. I know what it's like to get kids ready for church. Okay, But we, that was our call to worship this morning. Was Psalm 124 verse 8. And what a great reminder for us and in Calvin's day. As you come into the church full of burdens, full of worries, full of concerns. And what do you hear right at the beginning? Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. What would this place look like if we told each other often, our help is in the name of the Lord. As someone recounts their trouble to you, say, hey, hey, 
Our help is in the name of the Lord. Say it with me. Our help. I'm with you. We're a family, a community. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Well, hear the gospel this morning. Whatever you are going through right now, Christian, your help is in the name of the Lord. Your help is in the name of Jesus. Let that truth confront whatever is stressing you out today. Let that be your confession today. My help is in the name of the Lord. Just like David said in verse 1, let Israel now say, well, let that be your confession. And let it be your meditation, what you think about. The sad thing is that if unbelievers were to hear our thoughts and sometimes our words, as we go through trouble after trouble, they might never guess that our God made heaven and earth. See, the sad thing, if the unbelievers were able to hear our thoughts and words as we go through trouble after trouble after trouble, they might never guess that our God made heaven and earth. They might not pick up on the fact that our God is alive and well and ruling every atom in his universe. So go ahead today and fill in the blank. Do an inventory of your life. Look back over your life and see all the ways that Jesus has come through for you time and time again. And just pause and remember just how good Jesus has been to you. And then think of all the people on the central coast who don't know Jesus. They don't even know there's a blank to fill in. They are clueless that the God of Psalm 124 exists. They are clueless that they are stuck in the snare of Adam's sin and that only Jesus can set them free. And when you tell them about Jesus, guess what? They'll think you are mad. They'll think that you are crazy, that you have lost your mind. And they might get mad at you. They might get angry. But they need to hear about Jesus. We live in the number two most unchurched or never churched region in the U.S. Think about that, Grace. What an opportunity. What a responsibility as a church and as believers. We live in the number two most unchurched or never churched region in the U.S. 16% of the people who live on the Central Coast have never been to church. There are more unchurched people here on the Central Coast than there are in New York San Francisco, Los Angeles, we should not be comfortable with this statistic. We should want to do something about it. We should not be comfortable filling in our blanks while 16% of our neighbors have never been to church once. We should not be comfortable filling in our blanks when 16% of our neighbors don't even know there's a blank to fill in. And so what do we do? It's very easy. Invite them to church. Just invite them. And if you need a great lead-in, try this. Hey, did you know that the Central Coast is the number two unchurched region in the U.S.? Did you know that 16% of the people that live here have never been to church? Isn't that strange? By the way, have you ever been to church? And then invite them. And they might have a blank look on their face. But they need to know that they can 
have a blank in their life filled with the righteousness of Jesus. They need to know that they lack the righteousness needed to approach God and that Jesus can fill that blank for them. And so invite them so that they can come and hear about Jesus. Or you can tell them about Jesus right then if you want to. Invite them so that they can come and hear that they are trapped in the fowler's snare and that only Jesus can set them free. Invite them so that they can come and hear about the God of Psalm 124. And then maybe they will run to Jesus. And then they will be able to tell others someday, if it had not been the Lord who was on my side, then blank. They might tell their kids and their grandkids that if the Lord had not been on their side, then they never would have been invited to church. They never would have heard the gospel. They never would have repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus. They never would have been adopted into God's family. And they never would have known the God of Psalm 124. All of that can happen by simply extending an invitation to someone to come to church. Or maybe you're here today and you want in on this Jesus thing. Well, it's easy. Jesus lived the life that you should have lived. He obeyed for you because you can't obey perfectly. You're a sinner. He lived the life you should have lived and he died the death that you should die and that I should die for our sins, for our rebellion. And if you own up to your sins and your rebellion and you trust in Jesus and what he has done for you, you can be free. He will open the cage and set you free. Will you call on him today? Ralph Davis says, too many times David knows he was little more than roadkill on life's pavements. And Yahweh scraped him up and put him on his feet. And when that happens repeatedly, it infuses love with exuberance. That's David in Psalm 124. He has filled in thousands of blanks. Thousands of, if it had not been the Lord who was on my side, then blank. David's got journals. They're called the Psalms, by the way. David's got journals full of, if it had not been the Lord who was on my side, then blank. David has experienced Yahweh's intervention so many times that it has infused his love for Yahweh with exuberance. It infused his fellowship with Jesus with sweetness. David is full of joy because of what God has done for him. And he had to tell someone about it, so he wrote him down in the Psalms for us. And if you and I would sit down long enough to inventory all the ways that Jesus has intervened for us, then we might add a touch of exuberance to our love for God. We might be full of a little more energy, a little more excitement, a little more cheerfulness. We might just find that fellowship with Jesus is indeed very sweet. So take some time this week to sit down And just fill in the blank over and over and over again. I did it this week. I promise you, it will warm your heart and draw you to your Savior in a sweet, sweet fellowship with Him. Just take some time this week to sit down and do an inventory of your life. Fill in the blank over and over again. If it had not been the Lord who was on my side, then blank. And what you will find is that fellowship with Jesus is so sweet. You'll discover all the ways that he has been good to you. And you'll say like David, blessed be the Lord. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for how good you are to us, how merciful and loving and kind and how you've intervened. And you've intervened even when we haven't asked you to, when we were stubbornly running away from you. Father, you still intervened and graciously kept things from happening. You're just that good, that kind, loving, that faithful to his children. And we thank you for that, God. May we be a church that remembers often all the things that you've spared us from. And then as we live in the here and now, may we give thanks, Father, for your faithfulness. And then may we share this good news that we have with others, Father. May we tell our family members and coworkers and neighbors and the baristas that make our coffee and the people that check us out at the grocery store. May we tell them about your son Jesus and how he can set them free. Would you do it for their good, for our joy, and for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.